This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of the Tom and Bob Show, where each week we discuss best practices in the field of customer experience management. I'm Tom DeWitt, Director of CXM at MSU, and I'm joined by my co-host and partner in crime, Bob Keipel, Vice President of CX of M and retired Global CX Executive with General Motors. Without any further ado, let's get this show on the road. Hi, this is Tom DeWitt. Welcome to the Tom and Bob Show. I'm joined today by Bob. Hey, I'm Bob Keipel, uh, ex-General Motors employee for years, working on customer experience. Good to be here. Uh, We're joined today by Tim Tottish. Tim Tottish is the Vice President of User Experience for Blue Blue Flame Thinking, uh, which is a Grand Rapids, Michigan-based marketing design firm that recently celebrated its 55th anniversary Wow. Um, yep, they've weathered the times. They've adapted really well, and our conversation today with with uh, Tim will shed some light on that. Uh, so we've invited Tim here today to talk about a column that he recently wrote for the CX of M blog about the need for online user experience designers to be more concerned about the offline customer experience. Um, so Tim, can you start out by telling us a little bit about your position of VP of user experience and how it came about within Blue Flame Thinking. Sure, yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I'm happy to be here. Um, Yeah, like you said, I'm the VP of UX at BFT. Lots of uh, little acronyms there for us. Um, I've been in this role for, I don't know, maybe about a year. Prior to that, I was the digital director at the team. Um, And the shift from digital director to VP of UX was more of a... uh, sort of shifting in where we want to take the agency into more of a digital realm. It's been, like you said, we've, we're celebrating 55 years this year. Um, and we've kind of, as you can imagine, experienced all kinds of transition over that period of time. Uh, so starting out mainly as a lot of print and uh, traditional marketing for um, the manufacturing field and then moving into financial. And now we're, we still work a lot in those spaces, but uh, we're, shifting more and more towards digitally focused experiences for um, our customers and our clients. And so as part of that, we felt we wanted to <clears throat> really emphasize that discipline within the agency, both internally, but also um, externally to our clients. So that's kind of how this role came, came about. Uh, I've got a team of web developers, SEO and analytics specialists, and then also a digital engagement strategist uh, mm-hmm. who work with me and they're really the brains behind the operation. Um, they're, it's an awesome group. So uh, why is it called Blue Flame? I just, this is uh, something. <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Um, the previous owner, it's kind of a long story. The previous owner is, um, he had an agency in Chicago called S2 Financial. And he's a Grand Rapids native. So uh, through a series of events, he ended up purchasing what was at the time called Alexander Marketing here in Grand Rapids. Um, So then he owned the two agencies and kind of ran them as um, together, but with their different names. And then I think it was 2014, he decided to merge them together under one umbrella that he called Blue Flame Thinking. And the story goes, as I've been told, is he and his wife were in their kitchen the night before they had to submit the papers and 
they just kind of came up with the name on the spot. So <laughs> there's not really any uh, deep hidden meaning in there. Um, it's just kind of what we ended up with. So I'm just picturing somebody, you know, like in the sixties, you know, 55 years ago, it was called blue flame, like from the start for some reason. I'll yeah. that, like some lore for that. That's a better story, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I said, it was the Grand Rapids agency was Alexander Marketing here in uh, Grand Rapids for a long time, up until 2014, like I said. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, S2 in Chicago. So what what are the particular challenges for BFT and helping other customers with CX? Yeah, so like I mentioned, we focus primarily, not exclusively, but primarily in the financial and manufacturing sectors. Um, and the work that our clients do is really complex, especially, you know, from uh, value investing, mutual fund products to robotics automation. Uh, these are complicated things that they're working on building and trying to sell. Uh, fortunately, we've got uh, SMEs, subject matter experts with decades of experience in those industries. So we're able to get up to speed really quickly in those areas when we bring out a new client or if they're launching a new product um, and then they can fortunately bring the rest of the team up uh, to speed quickly as well because they're able to take that complex language and make it so that the rest of us can understand what uh, what they're talking about. I think so like for like the complex, like are you talking about, sorry, I think I might have cut off your answer here, but that's right. I'm just wondering about like, so if you're working in a financial company, is there extra layers of security or things like that that just make it unusual? What's the complexity part? There is. Um, I think in the financial world, particularly, there's different layers to the, if we use websites as the example, there's different layers of um, engagement that they have with their customers. The part that we work on typically is the marketing side. So we're working on the marketing websites and the security levels there are not as strict as they are for people who are actually logging in to access their accounts, right? That's usually handled yeah. by specialized uh, IT groups or whoever who are able to handle that. Our area is more the marketing side. And then we do, we, um, we consume a lot of data feeds for them, right? So there's, um, there's a lot of compliance requirements with regards to what they can say and the type of information that they have to have on the website. Mm -hmm. And part of that is the data about the funds, for example. So they have to have daily updates to the fund uh, values and all kinds of different um, details about those funds. And we get those, that data from their data providers and display it on the website. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but the security pieces there. Yes, you're right. That's, that's an important element, but that's usually handled by specialized groups. So, Tim, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the COVID crisis and how it's affecting everybody. Um, so thinking about the online user experience, how do you envision that, that customer expectations were, will change during the crisis, particularly with so many people being forced to shop online? Yeah, uh, this is a crazy time for mm -hmm. sure. I think uh, in the first couple of weeks, we saw brands and businesses kind of going into defense mode and hunkering down and just trying to figure out what's going on and is my business going to survive? What do I need to do? And it was a lot of sort of inward looking. Uh, I think in the last couple of weeks, we've seen that kind of start to people have their feet underneath them now and they're starting to go back to doing business. It's certainly not business as usual, um, but they're figuring out, okay, how can I engage with my customer base again? Um, I think, there's sort of three areas that are really important 
when you're thinking about that. It's messaging and empathy is hugely important. It's always important when you're dealing with your customers. You want to be empathetic to what their needs are and the experiences that they're having. Um, it's especially important right now, right? Because everybody's sort of on edge, um, trying to figure out, you know, what does this mean for me as a person? What does it mean for my job? All those things. Um, so the messaging and how you're going back out to market is super important. And it's, it's more than just adding, you know, we know these are scary and difficult times on the front of whatever your call to action is, right? We were just talking the other day about a ad from an auto manufacturer <clears throat> and it was sort of, you know, we know these are difficult times, buy our car, mm. we'll, we'll deliver it right to your house <laughs> where you won't be able to go anywhere with yeah, it, we, right? It's like, yeah. that's not really the messaging or the uh, experience that and, people and we, are looking for. Right? And, we prom- and we promise not to touch you in the process. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right. Stay at arm's length. Right. So this, it's got to be, yeah. that's a little tone deaf, right? Uh, yeah. You got to be yeah. tuned in. And these are really the basic principles of UX and CX to begin with, right? But they're, yeah. they're much more important right now. You really have to do it well. I think the other thing that's important is you need to be visible during this time. Like I said a minute ago, mm-hmm. a lot of us kind of went inward there for the first week or two, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you can't stay out of the conversation. You have to be out there and you have to be talking um, to your customers. They have to see you out there. They have to know that you're still there because this will end. Right. And if mm-hmm. they haven't heard from you and however long that takes, you're going to have to rebuild all that. Um, this is especially important. We're seeing for our financial clients, as you can imagine, whenever there's financial turmoil, um, people want to know what's going on. They want to hear from their financial managers. The last thing they want is silence from that industry. So that's been crucial for them is getting communications out via social, via email, uh, whatever it is, but you got to be out there. You got to talk. Excuse me. Um, and then I think being agile is is also super important. Things are changing constantly, right? And you have to be mm-hmm. able to change to adapt your message and meet those changing needs of your customers and whatever they're experiencing, whatever the news is for the day uh, is going to have an effect on what they're thinking and how they're feeling. So you have to be sensitive to that. You just have to have your finger on the pulse much more now, I think, than even normally. Mm. Yeah. Good point. Let me, I'm going to zoom in a little bit on your, uh, the blog column that we've, we've uh, got on our website here, cxfm.org. Um, how do you manage the transition? So between um, when someone's been shopping online, so between UX and CX, um, is it largely a function of the expectations that are created by the online environment? And how are those transitioned to the offline environment, say if somebody goes to see their financial advisor? Yeah, I think I think the it's consistency, right, is the key between whatever the offline experience is and whatever the online experience is. And that translates for everything from your branding um, on down the on down the line. Um, so if how you talk online or in your on your website in your app, whatever that is how you talk about yourself, how you present yourself, they're going to have that same expectation when they walk into a a physical location. Um, They're going to expect to be able to do whatever they could do in the physical location. They're going to be able, they're going to Mm -hmm. expect to be able to do that same thing Mm -hmm. online digitally. Right. If you think of, um, so I made a purchase at a big box hardware store this week. Right. 
And it, the online experience that, through the app was actually a little bit easier than the physical experience because I didn't have to wander up and down the aisles trying to find mm -hmm. these little hangers that I was looking mm -hmm. for. I could just search for them <clears throat> um, in the app and it took me right to them, add them to my cart, and then I could order them and then I could go and just walk in and pick them up when they're ready. So I think convenience, consistency, um, all those things are really important. You think people are, um, especially now, you know, because um, we all, all shut in, you know, I see the delivery trucks all the time, you know, through my neighborhood. Yeah. Um, do you think this is going to change uh, expectations for both online and offline and how? That's a good question. Um, I think maybe I'm the wrong person to answer because I do a lot of my shopping online already. So <laughs> I'm used oh, to yeah, going... <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, right, exactly. Um, I'm used to that, right? Being able to go to an Amazon or wherever it is and this is what I want, it'll be here in two days. Uh, I think we'll see more and more of that. I think one interesting space is maybe the online grocery delivery, right? Like the ships and the uh, Instacarts to see that's just exploding right now. Uh, there's, mm. there's more demand for it than the shoppers are able to do. Um, but again, they even, so if we use Shipt as the example, right? Shipt is owned by Target, but they shop through Meyer and all kinds of other different stores all over the country. Um, but your expectation as a user is that I'm going to be able to go into this app and I'm going to be able to shop for whatever I could if I was in the store uh, physically and find it. Um, if I can't find it or if it's not easy, I'm not going to be happy, right? And that's not necessarily going to reflect poorly on Shipt, I don't think. I think that's going to reflect, yes, maybe a little bit on Shipt, but also on Meyer, right? Because that's who I'm buying from in my mind is Meyer or Target or whatever. So if I'm having a bad experience, even though it's through Shipt, which may be a complete third-party entity, that's going to affect my feeling up the chain. But I think we'll see more and more people embracing that and continuing to use it even when this is uh, done because it's it's super convenient. I've done my grocery shopping while waiting in line. Now, this was before uh, COVID hit, but while waiting in line at Subway, do my whole grocery order, and mm -hmm. I'm done. Oh, you are on the cutting edge. I would never do that. <laughs> you know, Bob, you'd, you'd be thinking too much about the sandwich to think about doing anything. No, I would be overwhelmed thinking of all the choices. Yeah, I wouldn't know what to order, first of all, at Subway. Yeah, that's the problem. Well, my uh, kids were in front of me, and they, they <laughs> bought me so, a lot of time. Let's put it that is really strong. You have the kids there, and you're still able to handle that. Yeah. Well, my wife was there, too, so I was able to <laughs> sort of disconnect. I'm doing the grocery shopping, honey. It's fine. That's cool. So, Tim. So, Tim, uh, as someone who's focused their, their entire career on the online experience and its design, um, what principles do you think that UX brings to understanding and design, designing the offline experience? I think the principles are uh, similar, if not the same, right? You, we talked earlier about empathy and understanding. Mm -hmm. In the online world, we call them users. In the real world, we tend to call them customers, right? Mm -hmm. But I think the concept is the same. So f really focusing in on who is your intended user and what are they trying to accomplish? What are the mm -hmm. problems that they're trying to address or the tasks that they're trying to um, achieve? And then understanding those to the point where the solutions almost kind of come to themselves. A lot of times people hear one thing and um, 
they assume they go right into problem solving mode, right? Rather than taking the time to really dive in and figure out what is the real problem here on the surface, mm -hmm. it may look like this one thing, but the actual issue could be something entirely different. Um, so taking the time to, to dig in and figure out mm -hmm. what is the real issue and then testing it. Right. So doing now. So, sounds <laughs> a little bit about the, the principles around jobs to be done. And, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, and then once you figure out a solution in quotes, uh, testing that in the real world. Right. Mm -hmm. So I've built apps in the past where we thought we had a great solution and we get it out in the world and we test it and realize almost immediately in some cases like, Oh, we did the wrong thing here. We mm -hmm. need to go back and rethink this. So mm -hmm. I think it's an iterative process. Uh, and I think the same is true for the real world. It's maybe a little bit more complex because it's harder to change physical locations. I think and more expensive than it is to do digital, but the concepts are the same. Yeah. And there's people involved and people right. are unpredictable, which, which exactly. bring, brings me to my next question in the, in the article that you, um, uh, in your, in your column, you talk about Apple blue shirts or the store personnel who help customers. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming these are usually hardcore Apple fans that easily transition in that role. They're very enthusiastic about what they do. How can regular companies get their people to this level of enthusiasm? Yeah, I mean, the Apple um, example is <clears throat> it's not, it's a unique one, right? It's going to be hard for everyday companies to generate that kind of following. But I think um, one of the most important things you can do is treat your people well, right? If you focus on caring for your people, meaning the people who work for you, the people who are in the stores or wherever that is, answering the phones, if you're focused on them and making sure that their experience, I guess, is is a good one, that's going to translate through to how they treat uh, your customers. One, because they're going to be in a better mood and they'll be happier yeah. with their job. But two, you're setting an example for how you expect people to be treated, right? We go to uh, family camp every summer uh, and the camp director always gets up and talks about how his main focus is not to make sure that the campers are having a good time. His main focus and the focus of his leadership is to focus on the staff, the counselors, the people who are serving the meals, focus on them mm. and making sure that they're taken care of. And then that translates through to how they treat everybody else. And I will tell you that it is, it's my favorite thing to do all year, like just because of the way that we're everybody acts and is treated and it's just a great experience. So I think it's got to start from the top and how yeah. you treat your employees and that translates through to the customers. Well, in your example, Apple, it, it, it made me think about Trader Joe's and um, I can't help but think that, um, you know, when you think about the engagement level that you have at the cash register, um, it's, it's obvious they're hiring their own customers and people are passionate about the product and passionate about the mission of the organization. And they're obviously treated well and taken care of and, yeah. and it's seen in, in their attitude towards their job and what they do. And it's gotta be genuine too, right? It can come yeah. off as weird. I was at a, a department store a couple months ago and we were told probably five times, in the short period of time, we bought a pair of pants. I don't know what it was, something mm. pants or whatever. Just in the checkout process, probably five times, either how much money we saved 
or what percent off we got or this. Mm-hmm. And it was all very, it, it was very, it felt like a very social experience, right? Like yeah. you want to make very sure that I understand how much money you've saved me. <laughs> yeah. on this. Yeah. But that's the price I'm going to get any day that I walk into your store. Yeah. Right? Is, but it was, it, it, it was very, deliberate. Yep. Very transactional too in nature, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What they're trying to do, right? It was right. just robotic. Look, look, look how much you should love us for, for, <laughs> yes. for all we do for you and saving you money. Exactly. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah. You know, you mentioned in your uh, in your blog, you mentioned Warby Parker, the mm-hmm. uh, frames, glasses retailer. Um, super interesting case study for so many reasons. Um, you know, it's a company that started out online, and now I guess they have their own physical stores, right? Cropping up? Right? Yeah, I think they do in certain locations, yeah. Yeah. So um, the whole idea of just making the shopping process easier and being able to try on frames and then you can send them back for free and that, you know, shipping is all handled. It's easy. Um, made me wonder what can um, the brick and mortar optical shop learn from those guys? Because what they're doing isn't like super secret sauce. How could they right. come make it better? Yeah. I think you just first start off by just stealing the ideas right i mean mm-hmm. if they're doing something incredibly well just do those things if i go into rx optical or wherever and i want to go <laughs> try on some lens glasses first of all there's a sea of glasses in that store mm-hmm. i don't know what i want i don't know are these men's women's both doesn't matter i i sometimes i can't mm-hmm. tell mm-hmm. and i don't always feel like the uh person helping maybe necessarily has my best interest in mind Mm -hmm. uh they're just trying to get the sale done right so set up a similar approach offer guided assistance on these frames fit your face that's another thing that warby parker and Mm -hmm. a lot of these online classes do is they um they tell you what type of frames fit your face structure right i've got a huge head so i can only wear certain types of glasses Mm -hmm. yeah exactly so (laughs) being able to know like okay you don't even want to try this section of glasses because it's just not going to work for you we're going to look over here and now pick some Mm -hmm. out take them home ask your friends family what they think how they look and come back Mm -hmm. and we'll get you the right ones the thing that they offer that um barbie parker can't do for you is the fit afterwards right you buy the glasses you order them but you get them home and maybe they're a little bit too tight or they don't quite, the arms don't quite fit around mm-hmm. your ear or whatever. They have a person in the store who's able to make those uh, tailored adjustments to fit your face. So leverage both of those things together, I think, to offer that full experience. Well, and, you know, somebody who's worn eyeglasses since they were 14 and, and now is really poor vision without them. One thing that I've always noticed um, when I have um, bought eyeglasses in store is the thing that seems to be lost on them is when I take my glasses off, I'm total. I'm pretty much totally blind. So, <laughs> yeah. so when I when, when, when I when I put on the different frames, I literally have to put my face right up in the <laughs> right. mirror. You know, there's got to be a better way of doing it where um, where I can actually see see myself. And you know, I'm I'm not a, a Warby uh, 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 Parker customer. I'm an I buy direct. Uh, Okay. customer which is a, a lower price point but same principles in terms of easy returns if you don't like them and whatnot but the thing that i like you know the thing that draw drew me in originally was i could upload a picture of myself without my glasses and i could try on the, the frames and at least get an idea of what it looked like and to your point in terms of head size and everything else that was all provided there and at a reasonable enough price point where i could easily order two 
you know, two or, or possibly right. three different frames for less than a hundred dollars. And I always felt like I got great value for my money. I want to, I want to yeah. tell, tell my glasses for a story too, because um, <laughs> this has really got me going here. So right. I, I went into a really expensive place. I had one of those um, HSA spending accounts and I had to spend it. I, I managed oh, yeah. it, you know, you lose it at uh, the end of the year. So yeah. I went into a really fancy place for, to wear to get glasses. And there's this lady, and she comes up and she goes, oh, yeah, I'm like a, whatever she called herself, like a face designer or something like that. Okay, so their approach was like, oh, I totally know what to do with you, sir. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go grab them, and I'm going to show you these are the ones that look good on your kind mm -hmm. of a face. Like, so my question, my, back, bringing it back to CX a little bit here, is what, why is it that so these chains, you know, can't do that? Why, why can't they do something like that? Why are the people sort of preoccupied with just trying to move you through the process mm -hmm. without really sort of helping them? Yeah, I think part of it might go back to the previous question, right? Like, are they, how do you generate that sort of level of fandom or people who care enough about mm -hmm. what they're doing mm -hmm. to offer the right level of customer service uh, in the store? Yeah. Um, I think this, the shops that I've been in, there's almost never anybody there and the staff are running around in white coats, which is a little bit, I don't know, off-putting. Yeah, yeah. um, but I think it's just, I don't think the focus is there, right? There hasn't been until the last several years, there hasn't been any other competition. If you needed glasses, you had to go into one of these stores. Yeah. And that was sort of it. I think now that people are sort of, I hate to use the word, but disrupting that market, they're going to be forced to do a little bit more of these things uh, that you're describing. Well, and it's, yeah, I think the other thing that the online um, shopping experience um, exposes is the ability to get, uh, is, is the ability to identify how much it's all going to cost. Because, yeah. um, and I have to think quite a ways back to when I last bought a pair of eyeglasses offline. But you know, you're, you're relatively, you know, you're going through this process and they're trying different things on your face. Does this look, yeah, yeah, ultimately I really like this one. And then, and then, then they generate the invoice. And it's twice as much as you thought you were going to have to pay, but yeah. then it's too late to back out, right? right. And you you feel like you know if I say no right now, I'm going to be embarrassed and everything. The beauty of Warby Parker, I buy direct, is you're able to make all those comparisons um, and not be judged and and frankly get better value. Yeah, I think that's that's a great point. If they can be more upfront with the total pricing. I think addressing. Mm -hmm. Uh, the issue you mentioned, Tom, about I, I don't know how these look on my face because I can't see anymore. Yeah, right? that's, yeah. that, that's a real thing, too. I have the same thing when I go get okay. my haircut. How does it look? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because, but, I, because I have to put on my old glasses on the outside so I can see. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. maybe they have a, a kiosk or something in there that snaps, yeah. you know, different photos of you that you can see in real time. Kind of the, right. the real life experience of the digital uh, experience yeah. that you were describing where you can try on different frames yeah. uh, remotely. Well, um, we, we want to close here with a discussion about the role of um, online reviews and, and, and um, um, social, social media monitoring. Um, you know, increasingly, uh, consumers rely on online reviews and, and making purchase decisions. And at the same time, increasingly, they're realizing the value of social media for direct complaints to com companies, whether it's on Facebook pages or on Twitter. Um, 
What, what do you feel is the role of social monitoring in this process and reacting and managing to customer feedback? I think it's a critical component um, because the conversation is going to happen whether you're there taking part of it or not, right? So injecting yourself into that conversation and making sure that um, you're addressing people's concerns proactively or I guess it's reactively in a lot of cases, but being out there and and answering complaints, answering questions, showing people that you do care, that you are paying attention and in some ways helping to stop the flaming wars that, that can happen online. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I talk about in the article, my experience with Zappos, this was probably 10 or 15 years ago. They had just launched a new site that they were promoting on Twitter. I needed some shoes. I went out there and I looked and I couldn't find a thing on their site. And I went to Twitter because that's what mm-hmm. nerds did at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and said something about it. And within, I don't know, an hour or two, somebody from Zappos had replied back to me and said, hey, what are you looking for? And I kind of told them and mm-hmm. they sent me a link with those parameters to um, a page on their site that had all these different shoes that fit the mix that I was looking for. I ended up buying a pair of shoes from them because I was so impressed with, well, one, I could find the shoes that I wanted, but two, the, the way that they cared enough to reach out and address my issue. And I think I've bought 99% of my shoes since mm-hmm. that time I've been through Zappos. So I think it's, it's a critical, it's a critical thing that everybody <clears throat> has to take seriously. You have to be part of the conversation. That's awesome. Uh, and yeah, we'll talk about the value of a customer right there. I mean, you didn't buy one pair of shoes, did you? No. A pair of shoes. Exactly. What happens to the, the retailer that um, is brick and mortar? You know, and they have shoes, and you go in there and you look at them, and then you go home and you order them online or you order them on your phone on the way out to the parking lot. How can those guys fight that? Yeah, that is a that's a difficult challenge, and I think there's some ethical questions in there too that we could probably debate and talk about. Is should you do that or or not? If you have no intention of buying from them, should you go in there and take their time? Um, but at the end of the day, it's ubiquitous. People are going to do it. Uh, how do you battle against that? I think <clears throat> all the things we've just been talking about, right? You have to make that in-store experience as good or better than what the online experience can be, mm-hmm. right? For me, it's about convenience. I can go online. I don't have to leave my house. I can do the things that I want to do and I get the stuff. Um, but if I need it right away, then sometimes I do have to go to the store. And going to the shoe store is not really all that fun of an experience, right? Mm-hmm. Unless you go mm-hmm. to a very high-end place where they white glove treat you but if i walk into your run-of-the-mill sporting goods store and i need to buy some soccer shoes for my kid it takes forever you got to find somebody it's mm-hmm. back and forth to the back room mm-hmm. you got to figure out a way to improve um improve that experience and then once you finally find the shoe that you like they don't have it in your size right i think that's where the online <clears throat> one of the other areas where online really can um clean up the brick and mortar now if brick and mortar can make it easy for me to go into the brick and mortar mm-hmm. yep this is the shoe i like this is the style it meets all the requirements that i have i don't have it in your size but i can get it for you and have it shipped to your house and it'll be there tomorrow there you go there you go yeah right well you know tangentially you referred to what a lot of people are calling the amazon effect and and really what it is it's created this heightened level of expectations that consumers have for ease and convenience when it comes to purchases. And um, if retailers don't seize on this as an opportunity to improve, it's to their detriment. Uh, I, right. I, 
got a feeling those those businesses are going to fall by the wayside. Absolutely. Well, well, Tim, thanks. This has been a really great conversation. I, I think uh, there's plenty of other um, additional conversations we can be having in the, in the future. We look forward to it. And uh, just on a personal level, I want to thank you and, and, and Josh and the Blue Flame Thinking Team for your longstanding partnership with CXM at MSU. You guys have been incredibly um, great partners and community member, members of the CX community. So thanks, yeah, well, thanks thank again. You. Thanks again for your time. We look forward yeah, to my pleasure. talking to you again in the future. Thanks, right. Tim. Thanks, guys. Take it easy. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tom and Bob Show. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends and share it on LinkedIn and Twitter. If you have any ideas or suggestions for future podcasts, send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. After all, you're our customer. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.